You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Good evening. Good to be here tonight. If your Bibles, you can turn with me to Psalm 62, verse number 5. Psalm 62, verse 5. We'll see how this goes tonight. It's already been a battle trying to get this together and fighting with it and put the final touches on it today. I went to print it off and I should have listened to my computer. My ink was low and had three pages that didn't want to print. So scrambled around, put it on a USB drive, sent it to my email, saved it to my phone. Somehow I was set to make sure that this gets accomplished tonight. But it's one of those things that hard lessons learned. Throughout life, there are many things uh, to be learned, and we all learn differently. We, we all learn at different speeds. If you want to learn about history, we may find some, some books to read or, or maybe some podcasts to listen to. to if we want to learn how to, to do car or, or home repair, per, perhaps we'll We'll go to, to Google and YouTube to, to figure out what's wrong, why is it wrong, how do I fix this? Uh, I, I know in my life, I've, I use YouTube a lot to fix a lot of things, especially when it comes to our vehicles. I, I don't know how many times I've been in the garage, wrench in one hand, phone in the other hand, you know, watch it with a video where I'll, I'll hit play, watch, you know, that first step pause, perform that step, play, pause, and just repeat that over and over and over until the car is hopefully fixed. And usually it is. Sometimes a couple days later, it's back in the garage and on jacks again. But that's a, a, a learning process, a way to, to, to learn and uh, absorb knowledge and experience and, and, and to, to grow uh, my skill set. As you scour around online, or or even as you live your life, you maybe come up with uh, what you call life hacks, little lessons learned to make life just a little bit easier or or more convenient uh, for you. Some of them you come up with on your own. Others that uh, there might be other people that present hacks that they found that work for them, and you you, you learn off of them. Here's a few that I found online. Here's a, a, a time-saving hack, hack uh, that you can do to, to save time. Uh, for those that do a lot of cooking, uh, I read that you can actually boil all your water at the beginning of the week, freeze it for later. <laughs> healthy eating hack. It said that eggs are healthy for you. You should eat eggs. You know That's a, a good way to get some nutrition, protein, and, and it's all good if you don't really like the flavor of eggs, uh, the hack is you can mix it in with some, some flour, some cocoa, butter, and, and bake it for 30 minutes. Uh, financial hack that I found that I, I kind of like, somebody found that if you sleep until noon, you only have to pay for two meals a day. A safety hack that I found, if batteries in your smoke detector die, all you have to do is leave a, uh, a pan of popcorn outside your door. If a fire starts, you hear the popcorn popping, get out of the house. And, and there's all sorts of crazy things out there we can learn. Some are silly like, like, like these and, and you know, might not necessarily uh, work for us, but all things that we can, can, can learn, whether we, we should do them or, or shouldn't be doing them. Uh, just recently at work, uh, doing a job up on the east side of Cleveland and, and putting in some large bore, 16-inch uh, diameter uh, PVC, and it, it was a little bit of a learning process working with 
I, I, I deal more with metal type pipe welding and soldering and that type of stuff. And, and working with plastic pipe that big, it's, it's different. It doesn't like to go together the way other piping does. And as we were doing that job, we finished it up, we filled the system up, and we had a, a, a few leaks. And it's never what you want to have on a job is leaks on something that you've just, you know, repaired. And fortunately, uh, or unfortunately, where these uh, repairs needed to be made, it would resulted in disassembling all these sections of pipe to get down to where we, we were, cutting stuff apart, re uh, re-gluing other fittings in and, and then risking all these other uh, glue joints that for possible leaks. Fortunately, I uh, had an older, more experienced gentleman on the uh, job that he, uh, he had experience with plastic welding. I never really looked much at plastic welding and fusion, and, and fortunately, this guy had. He had the experience, and, and thankfully, he was willing enough to to actually sit down and show us how it was done, how to proceed, and, and a, a repair job that would have taken us probably two to three days to, to fix, we was able to fix in just a few hours in an afternoon. And, and thankfully for him, with, with him, with this uh, experience and his willingness to pass down that experience, uh, there was quite a few of us that learned a, a very valuable uh, lesson uh, through that, we were able to learn through the instruction of a more experienced individual. We usually learn through a, a combination of methods. Uh, it might not just be one, you know, where you read and then you, you just know it, or you, you, you watch, see somebody do it and you just know how to do it. Usually it's a combination, you know, you, you read, you study, you watch, and then you, you hands-on experience uh, last year, we installed a swimming pool at our house. I've never had any experience setting up swimming pools before this. It, it, it made it interesting. But I, you know, I started out the, the, the typical way. You know, I, I go to Google. I, I look up stuff online. I read the instruction manuals on how the manufacturer says to install it. I watch YouTube videos on professional pole installation companies and how, how they do it. And, and I'm, I'm taking and I'm gleaning all this uh, knowledge into how to put this pole up. And I, I, I had it all planned and laid out on how, how we was going to do it, time frame that was going to be accomplished. I mean, we, we was going to have this swimming pool up and running by Memorial Day. The deck that I was going to put around it would be around it by mid-July. That was, that was it. it was, I had it all worked out in my head. It didn't work out that way uh, because of my lack of experience. There was things that I missed. Uh, and right before we was uh, getting ready or planning to have it filled, I was, it was like the, I think it was the weekend. I was planning on calling the, the pool water guy that Monday, tell him, hey, let's, let's get water scheduled, get, get the pool filled up. Brief windstorm came through, pool, boom, smashed flat. Uh, it felt... Wind blew it down, broke several pieces on it. Needless to say, we pool was up and running by the 4th of July. Deck was on it by, I think, August. I don't know. But it was a learning process. Uh, even though I had did my homework on it and, and did the best that I could to, to learn and know about it, there were still things that I missed because I, I didn't have experience. I didn't have that uh, hands-on experience needed to, to understand everything that needed to be done with putting a, a, a swimming pool up. Look at Psalm 62.5 tonight. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. We won't spend too much time there at the moment, but we'll come back to that verse uh, at, at the end of this message. And my soul wait only upon God, for my expectation is from Him. Normally, through, uh, I think pretty much everyone in here uh, knows, but October, end of October, uh, November 2020, I had been 
I was diagnosed with uh, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And, and through the process of treatments and everything, normally Mandy would drive me to all my chemo and doctor appointments that were necessary for that. There was one day, however, that for whatever reason, she, she was unable to go. I can't remember why. I, I, I think maybe she had COVID or something at the time, but she was unable to take me up this one for my, one of my treatments. And so uh, my, my brother-in-law took me. On the drive up, my brother-in-law asked me this question. What is something God has taught you uh, through this? And really, for me, it was a loaded question. God has taught me all sorts of things. Where, where, where do I even be begin with the lessons that God has taught me uh, through what I, I had been experiencing? There were several things. No matter how large or small, there was one thing that they all had in common, and that was God's sovereignty. Just to be able to see his hand work and all these uh, big item things and even little item things, uh, things that really didn't seem that big of a deal, just to see his hand working and the, his, his, his sovereignty and all, all, all these things and his control uh, through those things. And it wasn't that I hadn't learned, heard, or, or learned these things before, because I'm sure I had. But there was a disconnect between my knowledge and my understanding of these things because of the, uh, and that level of dis disconnect was there because of my lack of experience. There was things that I, I hadn't experienced before, thing, hardships that I had, had to, to go through and uh, to, to bring me to this understanding. When it came to God's sovereignty, you know, I, I read Genesis chapter 1, the account of creation. I, I read everything there, the, 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 the week of creation, how he created everything, and, and I recognize God's sovereignty over creation. Come to Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and where it talks about all, by, by him all things consist, talking about uh, Christ, and it is in his power that creation's here, and, and it, it, it continues. And so I understood God's sovereignty uh, over creation is sustaining power over creation to keep it all going. I understand how God displayed his sovereignty when he created this vast universe from nothing. I understood how God continues to hold that said uh, universe together, and we only exist by his mighty power. I understand that God is sovereign over the powers of this world. From the book of uh, Job, we can see that even Satan himself is, is subject to God. God's sovereign over him, and there's nothing that Satan can do to, to us or this world without God allowing it, because God is sovereign over him. And Daniel 2.21 says, And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. This tells me that our world leaders only have their power because God allows them to. So God's sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over uh, Satan. Uh, he's sovereign over our, our governmental leaders our, 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 uh, in, in nations and kingdoms. We, we look around at what's going on today in the news with you know, our enemies, Russia and Ukraine and, and us and China. And, and you know, we can wonder what's going on, but we, but we know that God's sovereign. He's in control of all of that. There's nothing that's going to happen uh, that God does not already know about, that God doesn't want to happen. He's, it, it's all in his plan, all in, in his purpose. It's part of his sovereignty. Our world leaders only have their power because God allows them. And I understand that. I understand that God is sovereign over all persons and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I knew that going into my cancer diagnosis and treatments as far as God's sovereignty, but there was more to God's sovereignty that I just I didn't grasp and I wasn't completely understanding Turn with me now to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, and verses number 22 through 31. 
It's a familiar passage. We see in Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus' admonition not to worry about our, our physical provision. We think about how God takes care of his creation. He, uh, Christ mentions the, the, the lilies and the grass of the field, how they, 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 they don't work. Uh, they don't toil their, their time away to, to provide for themselves. Uh, and think about that. The grass and the flowers of the field, they have absolutely no ability within themselves to produce anything for themselves. The, 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 the water that they need to, to, to drink, the, the nutrients from the ground they need to, to grow and, and, and survive, they can't provide that for themselves. It's, it, it's outside of their capability, but yet uh, Christ reminds us here in, in, in Luke 12 that uh, he takes care of them, he feeds them, he sustains them. They, these, the, the, the grass, the, the, the lilies, they have no choice but to rely on God for their sustenance. And yet the grass still grows. The, the lilies are adorned in uh, such beauty that the, the Bible says that even Solomon himself could never compare to. Christ reminds us that their life is but brief and, and fleeting. And if God is willing to, to care and provide for, for these that are here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he provide for us who he created in his own image? And so in this passage, we, we, see, uh, we do see God's, uh, sovereign, that God is sovereign in provision. Uh, but first off, we see, his, we, we see his physical provision. Just as God provides for the grass of the field, the, the, the lilies, he, he feeds the, 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 the ravens, and he takes care of them, the Lord promises to provide for us physically. There are things that we are uh, to leave in his hands. It was one of the first lessons I learned after my diagnosis, and it wasn't an easy one to learn. But it was a lesson that I was forced to learn. I had always taken pride in being able to provide for my family. Isn't that the American dream? Isn't that the American philosophy that you as a husband, as a father, you, you, you get up in the morning, you go to work, you, you put a hard day of work in, and, and you provide for your family. That's what you're supposed to do as an American, right? And then there's nothing wrong with that. We, we, we should do that. We should strive to do that. But we need to be careful that our, our focus isn't on what we're doing and what we're striving to do. And I've, I'd always taken pride in being able to provide for my family. And the Bible, you, know, you open up the Bible and you see, you see verses that teach against laziness. The Bible says if you don't provide uh, for your family, you're worse than an infidel. Uh, the Bible does uh, uh, say, say, say that, but I suspect that we tend to, a lot of times, maybe misunderstand the, the context behind it. Maybe because, because it, it does feed our pride. We, we, we like that that feeling of knowing that we're able to provide uh, for our family, to provide our needs, being able to, to take care of ourselves, pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, as one might say. And, you know, these, some of these ideas are not necessarily wrong, but, but they can be when they're pri not prioritized properly. In November of 2020, I found myself in a position that took that ability away. I couldn't provide for myself. I was in a hospital bed. My ability to provide for my family was gone. My ability to beat their needs was gone. And notice the wording that I, I, I use here. It was my ability. My ability. Remember my doctor coming in and advising me that I would be unable to work for a minimum of six months. That six months turned into almost a year. And that was devastating news 
uh, for me to, to even begin to comprehend and get my, my mind around. How is this even possible? How, how are we going to survive this? Just to, to maybe add a little bit more context to, to this leading up to, uh, to these events, the previous few years hadn't been all that easy for us financially. But 2020, for whatever reason, was by far the worst. Uh, sorry, this is, I'm not comfortable really sharing this type of stuff, so bear with me. A little more personal, but, and, but we were struggling uh, through that year, really, really bad that year. Each week, uh, just trying to make it paycheck to paycheck, not sure how the next month's bills were even going to get paid. By the end of, uh, uh, we had already slashed our budget as much as possible. We were putting the minimum amount of, of gas in the vehicles just to get through until the next paycheck. Yet, but yet, you know, each, each month the Lord provided and, and, and made sure the bills were paid. But even at that, they're, they're just, it just seemed like we weren't getting ahead. And there was never enough to, to save back. I had set some financial goals and, and we were making uh, small progress, but it was at a snail's pace, it felt like. By the time uh, end of September 2020 rolled around, uh, we had pretty much already, I pretty much already cleared out what we had in savings, and we had about $6.75 in savings, give or take a nickel. <laughs> uh, I had a side job that I was going to do to, to help get us through until uh, the new year, and uh, hopefully income tax returns would, would come around. I, I had a uh, a load of uh, copper in the garage that I was going to go uh, scrap out, and, and that scrap money we was going to use to to pay for Christmas. And and uh, Mandy just did want me to point out here that the the copper was legitimately obtained. <laughs> I did not take it from anyone's houses in the dark of night. So just so that's clear, it was all legitimate. Uh, but. I, and so I was, I was overcome with fret and anxiety because this is where we were financially, and now I, here I am in a hospital bed completely unable to provide, do anything. I, I had no way of earning an income. We were uh, cashless, paycheckless, whatever, whatever you want to say. And so I was overcome with fret and anxiety it was weird, though, because Mandy, on the other hand, seemed to have more of a peace about it than I did. It was a, a previous weekend that uh, before I, I, I had just been admitted into the hospital, and, and Mandy went grocery shopping with the younger ones. Well, in the store, there was a, an older man that had approached her and, and gave, her, gave her $10 and said, hey, here's 10 bucks. Buy the kids some candy. Buy the kids some candy. And this was before we, we knew all, all of what was going on. We didn't know what was going to happen. I had no clue that uh, they, they was going to diagnose me with cancer you know, a few days later. But it was this little event that Mandy clung to. It, it was, uh, in her words, it was God's way of telling her, I already know. I already know there's a need. And just take comfort in this. They're, you're going to be taken care of. And she did. She found comfort in that. It was a, a little event that she clung to, and it was something that the, the Lord used to affirm to her that in his sovereignty, he already knew of our approaching need and already had provision preve- prepared. It wasn't that he would, would provide, but he already provided. We just didn't know it yet. After a week in the hospital, I made up a budget that focused on what bills had to be paid, you know, such as house, utilities, groceries, uh, transportation, and, and, and bills in the budget that if they don't get paid, they don't get paid. You know, what, what, do you, what do you do? I didn't want it to be this way. I hadn't planned on it being this way, but, 
it was just the reality of the moment. There were plans that I had already started making, trying to get my mind into a certain uh, a mindset to, to be able to accept these things. I planned on, uh, we had two vehicles, I planned on selling my truck, at least get, get rid of that debt, and, and, and also get out from under the, the, the costs associated of maintaining you know, fuel and insurance and your, your routine maintenance, that would, that would save some money. Uh, and after all, if I wasn't working, why do we need two vehicles anyway? Uh, but, and so I was, I, I was playing on that. I was even trying to prepare my, my, myself with the realization that we would probably be facing uh, bankruptcy. Uh, I, I hear stories all the time, people, cancer diagnosis and, and just the, the mounting medical bills and they, they can't get out from under it. And the next thing they know, they, they've, they've lost everything. And, and mentally, I'm there in my hospital room trying to prepare myself for all, for, for all these possibilities, not knowing what was going to happen. There was nothing that we could do now uh, in our own strength to crawl out of this mess. And I knew there was a good chance that we would either end up living with my parents or at least a tent in their backyard. As much as I love my parents, neither one of those really appealed to me. I'm sorry. Uh, I remember praying and, and crying out to God as I, I, as I scoured over the numbers, and I was forced to admit that I could not provide. It was impossible. I was forced to recognize that I had been relying too much on my ability and not the Lord's ability. As I sat in my hospital room studying budgets and Excel sheets, I knew that there, was, there was absolutely nothing I could do to get out of this. Nothing at all. I had nothing to... I didn't have anything to pay my current bills, let alone any new medical expenses uh, of going through extensive treatments and, and hospital stays. And, and as I processed all this information, I, I, I don't remember the exact words, but I, I remember finally just crying out to God and praying to him and, and saying something along these lines, Lord, we're broke. I wasn't sure how we were going to make it through the end of this year. I uh, wasn't sure how we were going to make it through the end of this year with, with, with me working, and, and now we have absolutely no income. I recognize this is completely out of my control. If we were going to get through this financially, Lord, then it is you alone that will have to provide. Lord, I leave this in your hands. I don't have time to stress over this. You're in control. You promise food and raiment and anything more is just a blessing of your grace, Lord. Please, I, I, I do plead with you, though, that you would do at least this, this for us. Please at least keep, let us keep our house in one vehicle. If not, then provide us with the grace needed to accept your will. It was a hard thing to, to submit to that. When you read it, it, it's easy. It's easy to understand, but then when it comes time to doing it, it's so difficult just to, to let go and surrender. But surrendering was the best thing I did. And the Lord did provide in ways that I never could have imagined. With you know, prior with the financial difficulties, we did have a financial plan, and 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 I I had figured by mid 2025 we would be out of some of our our debts and uh, financially secure, and things would be good. But that was a long ways off, and now I had no income to accomplish that. But God managed to accomplish that by the end of the summer of 21. We have. We incurred no new debt. I don't know what the, all the medical expenses are uh, surrounding my treatments and everything, but last time I checked and, and rounded, and we were right around the $2 million mark as far as um, medical expenses. And to date, we haven't had to pay a penny. God has allowed us to keep our house in both vehicles. I'm not living with mom and dad. 
then God has also provided us with a proper savings that, su- that suits our needs. All these things God provided through the generosity of his church, through our family, co-workers, employer, and free government stimulus money, right? <laughs> God knew what we needed, when we needed it. How else is it possible to be unable to work the the same time the government decides to go on this huge spending spree, no matter what you think about it, hand out all the stimulus money? We went from our worst financial year to our best financial year (laughs) while receiving, while me not working, receiving any paycheck. Only God can do something like that. It was a hard lesson to learn, but it was a great lesson to learn. God is able to provide for our physical needs. It is his provision and not ours. Uh, Look at verses, uh, Luke 12 there, verses 25 and, and 26, I believe it is. In which of you... In which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then not be able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? It's not in our power. It's not in our ability to provide for ourselves. Provision comes from God. He, he provides our needs. There's no reason for us to, to stress and, and worry about it. And I'm not preaching a, a prosperity gospel where, as some would, where if, if you do these things for God, God's going to bless and he's going to give you all this. I recognize that this could have ended very differently. He didn't have to bless us like this. If we would have walked away with the clothes on our back and, and food on our belly, God would have still been faithful. We could have lost everything but God would still have been faithful. Verse number 22 of Luke 12 says, And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, uh, what ye shall put on. And just uh, take no thought for your life. And so we see uh, the mental, he provides for us mentally, a a mental provision. Uh, Why does Christ tell us these things about the the grass of the field and the the, the lilies and how he provides for them? Christ tells us these things as as a comfort to us, to give us peace of mind. He wants us to fully understand that he is our sole provider. Our provision rests in his hands and not our own. We need to understand that stress is understand the stress that is released when we recognize this fact. How much time do we waste in, in worrying over things that we have absolutely no control over? God is faithful to, to feed the ravens, and He is faithful to feed us. He is faithful to, to clothe the grass of the field, and He is faithful to clothe us. He is able faithful to provide for us and the, the, the little things so we can keep our focus on the things that He wants us to do. The Lord may provide us with uh, finances to afford the things we need, while at other times he may just supply the the, the, the means, the things that uh, we need. Chances are he, are he will provide in ways that maybe make us uncomfortable or, or don't even make sense to us. But he's going to provide our needs. The Lord is saying, don't worry and seek after those things like the, the, the world does. Keep your focus on the kingdom of God. Seek the eternal blessings of God, and he will provide the physical things and give, give us a peace of mind. He does not a, afford us these things so that we can enjoy a, a, a cushy lifestyle, but so that we can pursue his will and the things that really matter without the distraction of being worried. We cannot allow the the needs of this life to distract us from the message of Christ. We cannot allow the needs of this life to distract us from what Christ has called each and every one of us to do. 
It is our responsibility as believers to spread the gospel message. The gospel message the gospel is a message that is to, to bring hope and peace and rest to the world so that when the world looks at our life, they should see evidence of that. The world should be able to look at our lives and see that we are not running to and fro, fretting about how our needs are going to be met. They should be able to look at us and say they have peace with God because God's providing for them. God, the Lord tells us that these things to provide peace in our life. So we can focus on his will. Verses 30 and 31. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. When our focus is on Christ's calling for our life, he'll provide food for your table, even though your shelves may be bare. It might not be steak, but it will provide the nourishment that we need. He'll provide clothing for our backs. It may not be the designer brands or styles, but it will provide the covering we need. He'll provide other things that are necessary. It may be fuel in the vehicle. It might not be a full tank, but it'll be enough to, to get us where we need to be when we need to be there. He'll provide those needs. We may not get to enjoy all the extra pleasures and, and not that those, these other things are, are sinful or wrong uh, that this life has to offer, but we can have peace of mind that the Lord will provide. And again, we are not talking about a prosperity gospel that says, do this for God and he will do these things for you. What Christ is saying is be faithful to me because I am faithful to you. Note that God's faithfulness is not dependent upon us. I don't know how many times I noticed that in my own life. I've, how many times I'm unfaithful, no matter how much I'm unfaithful, God is still faithful to me. And we are not faithful so we can get, but we are faithful so we can do. I don't know if there's been anything more convicting than, than this in my, my own life, seeing God's faithfulness despite my unfaithfulness. It is that faithfulness that drives me to do. It is his faithfulness in my life that motivates me to wake up in the morning and serve him with purpose. God provides. He provides for us physically. Or he's sovereign in his provision. Point number two tonight uh, he is sovereign in sanctification. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number uh, 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Who also will do it. Sanctification, what is it? Sanctification in its simplest form is simply to set something apart for the purpose of something else. Concerning salvation, I've heard it uh, said this way. It is a setting apart from sin unto God. We know that sanctification is a, it's a process. It starts at the, the moment of our salvation, and it's ongoing until we re, one day we receive our, our glorified bodies. Sanctification is a tool that's it's used by God to call us to a different purpose. In John 17, we, uh, we read uh, Christ's uh, prayer. Uh, uh, you could say is the, the, the true Lord's prayer. And as he, he's praying uh, to, to the Father, he, uh, he, he talks about how he has sanctified himself for the purpose of, of sanctifying us. Uh, he made it his purpose to separate himself from his divine position that we may be separated from this world for the purpose of his divine calling in our lives. We know that sanctification is a process that starts at the moment of salvation uh, sanctification is used by God to call us to, to, the, to a different purpose. How then is sanctification to be achieved? 
let's start at, start at salvation. I imagine we would all agree tonight that salvation is of the Lord. We know that salvation is by faith and not of works. We can see that in Ephesians 2, uh, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is a gift of God. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gift of God. A gift is given. It is not earned. Salvation being a gift is of God and is not of ourselves. We can't earn it. It can't be worked for. It has to be provided. It has to be given. Anything worked for is a a wage or a reward. And I I, I believe tonight that's with the, the group that's in this room, that's, that's a doctrine that we probably all uh, agree on and we, we, we understand. But sanctification's the same. It's not earned, but God provides it. Sanctification is something that the Lord works within us. It is a work that belongs to him. It's not within our ability to, to accomplish it. And unfortunately, too many times after we are saved, we, 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 we read verses in Scripture and and we see things that aren't really there. And, and for example, we'll, we'll come to the book of James and, and perhaps chapter 2. We, re, we read things like in verse 21 of James 2. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And then we get to verse 24. Ye, ye see then how that by works man is justified and not by faith only. And that seems to contradict salvation by faith. And but it doesn't. Is, is the Bible contradicting itself here? Is it saying that works are necessary for our salvation? The answer is no. And because we know that the answer is no, then we ask ourselves, well, what is the purpose of our works? How do my works relate to my relationship with Christ? Well, for starters, uh, when reading uh, Ephesians, uh, chapter 2, which I, I quoted verses 8 and 9. Don't, start, don't stop at verse 9. Keep, keep going. Verse number 10 of Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are created to do good works. It is God who puts those desires in us. It is God who gives us the, the, the desire to seek change and to, to pers- pursue these works. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. In these verses, we see a list of things that are of God. Our wisdom is of God. Our righteousness is of God. Our redemption is of God. And according to this passage, who is sanctification of? It is of God. None of these things are we able or even capable of producing ourselves. They belong to God, and he works them in us. Notice the last phrase of this chapter. Him that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That sounds much like Ephesians 2.9, which says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. I believe it is safe to say that if our works are bringing glory to ourselves and creating a heart of pride, then we are wrongly motivated. It is of utmost importance that we recognize our identity lies completely in Christ and the good works in us are produced by him. It's not our works, it's his works. The Bible says that our works are, are, are our righteousness is as a filthy rags. There's nothing that we can do that's good. It's God's good work that's in us that we are pursuing. For years, I misunderstood this concept. I may have been taught it. I may have read about it. And I, 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 I certainly know that I, ha- I, I have seen it displayed in the lives of other believers. But I lacked a true understanding of what all this meant. Another instance where I had knowledge, but I lacked true understanding. The proper application of it was missing in my life. I wasn't applying scripture properly in my day-to-day life and how I was trying to to serve and please God. I had a desire to serve God. I had a desire to to please God. I, I wanted others to see God through my life. I wanted him to be glorified. But my motivation was wrong. My works were motivated out of a heart of fear that God would judge me. 
that I would feel his anger and wrath. My motivation was to appease God, to escape his judgment. And this works for a while. And there's nothing more motivating than, than fear, right? Fear gets us to do things that we normally wouldn't do. Sometimes fear is the only way to get our kids under control at home. You've got to strike fear into them. But in our relationship with God, our relationship with Christ, that's not the way it's ought to be. And it, it will motivate us for a while, but then when the hardships come, it, it messes things up. It, it, and it works for a while, but then the hardships come, and you begin to question everything, and you, and you begin to doubt your identity in Christ. I recall laying in my hospital bed after being towed, I, I, I had a very aggressive form of cancer. The, there were thoughts that were rapidly firing through, through my mind, and those thoughts brought nothing but fear and doubt, anxiety, and even anger. I questioned, why would God allow this? Was I too unfaithful? Was he angry with me? Was he punishing me? Was I not doing enough for him? Did he not care for me? In fall of 2020, before all, shortly before all of this had taken place, I had enrolled into Veritas Baptist College to, to take some classes uh, in the following spring semester for uh, 2021. At this time, I thought maybe the Lord was leading me into to full-time ministry. It was something that I'd been talking with pastor with and seeking his counsel. And, and although I already had a, a college degree, uh, I felt, and pastor felt also, that it'd be good to, to take some classes on some things that I I hadn't taken classes on and, and try to learn a, a few more things. And so that, that was my intention. I, I would enroll into this Bible college, take some classes, learn some things that would be uh, beneficial as I, as I sought out God's will for uh, my life. And I moved forward with that. I, I, I filled out the enrollment form. They accepted me, and, and, and I was on my way. The same week that I was admitted into the hospital was also the, happened to be the same week that classes opened up for registration. And I remember laying in the hospital bed getting the, the email, hey, classes are open for registration. Go ahead and, 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 and register. <laughs> what do you do with that? What am I supposed to do? Uh, and I'm... And I, I text a pastor that I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what God wants. I thought this is where He was leading me, but now I'm in a hospital bed and I can't do this. Again, more questions rolled through my mind as to why all this was happening. I felt as though God was betraying me. How could He call me to do something and then slam the door closed on me? How could He? How could He do that? At this time, Pastor gave me a book, books called, uh, title of the book's Off Script, written by Brother Kerry uh, Schmidt. Kerry Schmidt, he, he now pastors a church in Connecticut, but at the time of the writing, he was on staff at Lancaster Baptist in California, uh, serving under uh, Brother Paul Chappelle. The uniqueness of this book that he wrote is that he wrote it while going through chemo and radiation treatments himself for Hodgkin's lymphoma. Each day I would read a chapter of the book, and, and as I would read through it, I would find insights and, and, and perspective that, I, that were encouraging and, and uplifting and, and helped me to, to begin to, to process some of the, the things that I was, I, I was facing. But then one day I, I got to chapter 7 in the book, it, it just grabbed my attention. And in chapter 7, he talked about trying your ways— and he discussed the reasoning behind some of our suffering. He made some points that motivated me to look more into Scripture. Turn, to John, turn with me uh, to 1 John 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 John 2, 1 through 3. So how does suffering re relate to my sanctification? 
First, as a child of God, understand that God is not judging you for your sin. You are already forgiven, and God will not judge sin that has already been paid for. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins. All has been forgiven, and there's nothing left to punish. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 3 says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ourselves only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Christ already made the payment for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins. Our works simply show that we belong to him. And hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 12. And we'll spend some, a good bit of time there. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We see Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. It is his responsibility uh, going down to verse number five, we'll pick up there. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which uh, speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint uh, when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much uh, rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for they verily, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure but he for our prophet, that we might be partakers of his holiness. And uh, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Here's the part that I've been working towards tonight. The, the part that I was missing in my life, the part that I needed to learn myself to better understand my role when it comes to my own sanctification. The major lesson I learned is that chastening is a good thing. I often thought of it as punishment for my wrongdoings, but it's not. Verse 5 tells us not to de- despise chastening. We should actually welcome and look forward to it in our lives because it is an agent uh, uh, that motivates us to change. Verses 6 through 8 tells us that we are chastened because we are God's children. If we weren't the children of God, there would be no point for him to chasten us. Chastening us is what, what makes us grow. Uh, if, if it is our true desire to grow in Christ, then we need to be challenged. A, a person who is unchallenged will not grow. Uh, chastening is to our walk with Christ as exercises to our own physical bodies. A person who does not exercise will not only fail to, to strengthen themselves, but over time they're going to fail to even maintain the, the current health that they're in. You have to be challenged. You have to be exercised, and that's what chastening is. It's a form of spiritual exercise. It, it hurts as it happens, but in the end it pays off with great reward. Verse 10 says that we are chastened to be more like the Father, to partake in his holiness. Not our holiness, but the Father's holiness. This doesn't sound like judgment and condemnation at all. This to me sounds like love. Verse number 11, we see the end result. In the moment, it's not joyous, it can be grievous, but look at what it produces. It produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness, not just righteousness, but peace as a result. My only responsibility as a believer is to submit, 
The purpose of chastisement is to humble and bring myself into submission. The Lord is simply looking for people that are willing to humble themselves and submit to his will. My sanctification, it's, it's outside of my control. I can try to work for it, and I have tried to work for it, but it was all to no avail. Why I finally understood this lesson of God's sovereignty over my sanctification, it brought that piece of, uh, peaceable fruit of righteousness into my life. My works are corrupt. They are unco- incapable of producing righteousness. All my righteousness are as filthy rags. My, faith, or my works will fail me. I had to humble my, and submit myself to God's work within me. It doesn't mean that the, the stress from the hardships are over, uh, but it does mean that it brings peace in knowing that my hardship is God loving me and, and growing me. And in the end, I'm going to be stronger and a, a more mature believer for it. Finally, tonight, in conclusion, we'll turn back to Psalm 62. We're running out of time, but be brief here. Psalm 62. This time we'll read verses uh, 5 through 8. My soul, wait only thou, or my soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. And God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Put your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Did you notice who the author is of this psalm? It's David. Think of all that David had suffered. Uh, suffered at the hands of his enemies, suffered at the hands of his own king, who he had been, uh, went out of his way to be, to, to be loyal to. Was God punishing him? No. What did God say about David? In, in, in Acts 13, 22, in the last part of the verse, God says of David, he is a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. And why did God say this about David? Uh, he was a man after his own part because he, was, uh, he shall fulfill all my plan. God had a plan for David, and God was simply working David and strengthening him to prepare him for that plan. David looked to God for his provision, and David was able to find refuge in it. David understood that because God told him, one day you're going to be king, he trusted it. God said, I'm going to be king, so nothing's going to happen to me. It's within God's sovereignty. He's going to take, and, and, and David took comfort in that. So tonight, as verse 5 says, tonight, let our expectation be from the Lord. Recognize that God is sovereign in our physical needs. He is sovereign in our mental needs. He is sovereign over our sanctification and and anything else going on in our life. He is sovereign over those things, and we can find peace, and we can find refuge in that. God has those things provided for us so that we can focus our will, so we can focus on our will for his, uh, sorry, focus on his will for our lives. He'll provide those needs. We had the post-high school summit here where uh, the group up uh, here uh, talked about after high school and how to prepare our students. And, and, and one of my takeaways from it was something that Miss Heidi said about what uh, her father had told her about even if it seems like you can't afford it or the finances aren't there, if God has called you, then he will provide the means to accomplish that calling. Now, I would add to that that not only God will provide, but he has already provided. Stand with me. We'll have a verse of invitation tonight. Brother Nick will come lead us in a song. But as we go through this life, there's, we can take refuge in that, in this, in God's sovereignty. We don't have to worry about inflation. We don't have to worry about the gas prices. We don't have to worry about the the newest virus going around. 
We don't have to worry about our retirement funds. God is sovereign over all those things. He will supply our needs. It's, it's not going to look the way we would want it to or, or go according to the way we would plan it, but he will be faithful to provide. Take pleasure in knowing that God is sovereign in your sanctification. It is his work, not yours. Find comfort in knowing that he is growing for you, for his, for his will. He finds you useful and it shows that you have a purpose in his grand plan.